I'm Chara Santilli. I was born with ambition. My parents were entrepreneurs and I pushed myself to be high school valedictorian, class president, most artistic, and most likely to succeed. The summer I turned 19, we celebrated my dad's 50th birthday with a hot air balloon ride. A crash landing left him with a broken neck, me with a broken heart, and my mom coping through alcohol. My relentless ambition helped me become a successful entrepreneur, yet my own private paralysis and overachiever addiction ruled me. I finally ventured on a quest for my best life. I found the path of my inner peace, how to stay on it and how to show the way for others. Now it's your turn. Ready to take that load off your shoulders? Join me so you can cherish your life. And today I am back with JD Messenger. This is part two of an ongoing series we've got. I'm so grateful that he has enjoyed chatting with me and wants to come back. I got great feedback, people loving our first interview. And so here we are. JD, and I'll put a link to that first one in the show notes, by the way. Um, one of the things I'm going to do today is focus a little bit on his book, 11 Days in May. I've got the copy I'm holding up here. You see a lot of tabs. If you saw it, you'd see that there's a zillion highlights. And then I have levels of highlights and margin highlights to try to call attention to them. And I was just sharing that with him before we went live here. So um, I we, we shared a, his, a lot about his story, a lot of juicy details and wonderful backstory in the first part. So please do definitely go watch that. Uh, but to give you a few highlights, uh, I'll tell you a few things that are even in the back uh, bio of his book here. Former CEO of Ernst & Young Consulting, one of 37 distinguished graduates from Annapolis, a former fireman, nuclear submarine officer, former radio and television show creator, producer, and host. And he helped supervise the Valdez oil spill cleanup, was an advisor for Fortune, well, still is for Fortune 100 clients and also has worked with governments on five continents. He lives in Texas, has three kids. He's really remarkable. He, he now is, has the Messenger Institute and is doing consulting and coaching for professionals in, in a remarkable way, um, different than I think he ever anticipated long ago. So welcome back, J.D., Hey, Cheris, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah it's super fun. So what we decided we were going to do today is I went through and tried to narrow down out of my, I mean, it's almost like the book is now just yellow with some <laughs> random white spots, but um, I pulled out some key things that I wanted to call attention to, read a bit, and he's going to respond and share us a little so bit more said, about like that. like double or triple asterisk. <laughs> you know, when I read a book, first of all, I like to hold a book in my hands because I like to make notes in the margins. And and when I find a good something good in the book, it it either has like it's underlined or underlined in a star or check mark check mark. So three check marks are you know that's my way of doing it. Yep, and I I was using one highlighter, but I'd have extra lines in the margin, and I'd get extra thick if it was. The, and the I little do a star. The, the little things on the, the like the post-it, the sticking things on the side is better than ear folding the pages because I would I would earmark a corner 
And if it was like a really big thing, I'd fold the page in half kind of, you know, my books are disaster. I mean, no one could ever read a book after I've, looked, <laughs> after I've been through it. I love that. Okay. Well, uh, here, by the way, I'm going to hold up and show people. This is the first part of the book that I'm, is technically uh, the, uh, it is part of the book. It's the 10th anniversary new forward that he sent me an electronic version of. And I, um, have some highlights here I want to share. So one is, let me go with this one. So yeah, that was written, and it's not published yet, but that was written to answer all the questions people had been asking me for 10 years. So, so that's a good place to start. Okay, perfect. So especially for people who didn't hear the first one yet, the first uh, time you were on, here you are as I know that you had some fears around going public and with your your new beliefs, uh, sharing your story, sharing some of the, you know, what you some people may describe as bizarre things that happened to you. Um, and this was this is a passage that you 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 talk about readers guided by the book. You have a whole section in this, and one of these someone comes up to you who's in educated, respected professional and tells you some things and you're like, why are you sharing this with me? I'm a stranger. And this person replies, because of who you are, I feel safe. You are this corporate executive, a man of science coming out and sharing these stories, not some hippie or spiritual evangelist. You're giving me confidence, maybe even permission to know I'm not crazy and it's okay to speak. So that I think is really cool because you were a very highly regarded CEO of multiple huge corporations that were world renowned, working with uh, guiding politicians even. I mean, you were, and, and I know because you, sh you share it in your book in the foreword and in the book itself that you, you were really, it took you a while to- <laughs> <laughs> years, right? To come to ten, truly ten share. 10 to 12 years. Yeah. Okay. So go ahead and talk to that a little bit because that's, um, I think an important note. So I, you know, I like to jokingly say that, you know, I had a lot of la woo woo experiences. Um, there's a book, I can't remember the author. He wrote a book called 10% happy and, uh, he caught a lot of flack for that. And he went down sort of what he called this new age, pseudoscience stuff. And um, so, yeah, you know, I, my whole life, I had been leading and working with all these powerful people and important people. And I, I was ashamed, afraid to share my truth and my experiences. And so when the book came out, um, which for those that didn't hear, you know, the book wrote itself, I, I didn't know what I wrote. I wrote for 11 days. I just saw the words before my eyes. And, uh, and, and, and when I was done, my wife said, what are you doing? I said, I think I wrote a book. She said, what it's, what's it about? And I said, I don't know. I haven't read it yet. And, uh, that's the honest to God's truth. I'll swear in a Bible. And so then it was published and it hit number one on Amazon and won five gold awards. And I'm like, damn, you know, now I got to go out there and talk to people. And so it was sort of a coming out party. And so that, you know, that's what was the necessity event that made me come out. And then 
you know, I, I remember the first time I was called to speak at another big conference. I mean, as a professional CEO, energy executive uh, partner at EY, you know, I spoke at the ASEAN conference. I've spoke to 3,000 people in China and the business conferences and thousands in Australia. But, you know, I hadn't done any of those big speeches. And I got a call from the, the AICPA, American Institute of Certified Public Accountants, to talk to their annual CFOs, you know, the top CFOs around the world. And and uh, I was like, what do you want me to talk about? And they said, we want you to tell your story. I'm like, you want me to tell my story? You know my story? And they're like, yeah. So what happens in every one of these events, everyone, is someone will come up and give me a hug. A lot of times they'll be crying, almost always give me a hug and say, thank you, thank you, thank you for what you've done. And I'm like, why, why are you thanking me? What did I do? You know, and they'd say, you know, that I thought I was going crazy. I have visions in my mind's eye. I had, you know, these traumas and wounds and I didn't have the courage. I mean, Stephen Covey wrote a, an endorsement on the book and uh, that, you know, it took so much courage for him to write these things. Because senior executives and people in positions of power, they're afraid of not being in control. They're afraid of not being respected. They're afraid of being vulnerable. And, and so I guess, you know, what they see is someone who's being vulnerable and courageous and sharing, you know, that they're not perfect. And that resonates with them. And... I want to go ahead and go there because I know you've and I've you know I've touched on this before, that um, many of those people are men, and our society doesn't yeah. really allow for and, men to be yeah. vulnerable, right? I mean, in, yeah. historically speaking, it's changing. In, thank goodness. In my and and so yeah, as I I'm not sure I've ever connected that dot, um, but as I roll through names and faces and events, those people that come up like that are all men. Interesting. Yeah. And I think it's because women are more, you know, you know, we talk about sort of the divine feminine and divine masculine, mm -hmm. the Chakti and Shiva kind of thing. And, you know, we have different energies. We have, and you can call it genetics, you can call it cultural, but it, it's more than cultural. It's really programming in our DNA. And women are, uh, they're more compassionate, they're more present, they're more tolerant. And um, they're more likely to talk about these kinds of things. And I'm, I'm thrilled that you took a leap, especially if we think back to what that would have been 10, 11 years ago when you published your book, I guess almost 11, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, you know, things were... I, things are continuing to evolve, uh, and I'm grateful for that in being more open, people being more vul vulnerable. But let's rewind back a decade, very different. Uh, and it is, it is different, and it has, mm -hmm. it has gotten better. You know, mm -hmm. there's more receptivity to it, you know, with Brene Brown writing, you know, some of her teachings and, and just society evolving. Yeah. So I'm so grateful for that. So grateful for your contribution in that. Thank you. Um, another part of the foreword that really got my attention is that the path toward healing begins with mindfulness. 
Mindfulness is often confused with being present, but there is a vast and subtle difference. Being mindful means maintaining a moment-by-moment awareness of our internal thoughts, dialogue, beliefs, emotions, feelings, and bodily sensations. Being present is being aware of external events and conversations. One cannot be present in the outer game without being mindful of the inner game first. So that's a quote from his um, new forward as well. And I really love this. This very much resonates with me and what I believe and teach and my experiences. And it, I, I, it is very much something that I work on with my clients and, and consistently with myself is being aware of internal thoughts, dialogue, beliefs, emotions, feelings, and how my body feels and what it's telling me. And if I can't, if, if I can't be aware of that stuff, then it's, there really is a huge lack of presence. Like that is the beginning. And that's the beginning for any kind of true um, personal evolution and change and growth, I believe too. You got to be, have that awareness. So go ahead and speak to that a bit. Well, I just before this, I had a coaching session with an executive and uh, um, we happened to do it in person and we went walking around a lake with ducks and flowers, which I think is maybe the first time we've been in person in six months. And uh, they had a lot of issues in their mind. They had gone through a divorce. They sold their old house, bought a new house, had a new relationship that didn't go well. Lots of stress and anxiety, lots of fears and wounds and triggers being processed. And excuse me, I said, uh, let's sit down on the bench. And I picked a flower and there's a water fountain in the lake splashing up and there's ducks swimming around squawking, beautiful sun nice breeze, perfect temperature. And I handed him the flower and I said, I want you to stare at this for two minutes. And I don't want you to think about anything else other than the flower. Look at the petals. Think about, look at the colors. Look at how it grows around and and all that. And after that, two minutes was up. I said, look at the water fountain. Listen to it. Feel the sun on our face. Feel the breeze. Look at the ducks. So a couple more minutes go by. And I said, you know, those ducks don't know anything about time. They don't know anything about the stock market, divorces. I said, sure, they have fears, they have wounds, but they pretty much fly north, fly south, eat and raise babies and take care of their family. And so I said, just take a couple more minutes and soak all that in. And so after we were done, I said, how do you feel? And they said, great. I said, you know, you just stopped thinking about all those things. I said, all those things that you were thinking about were the internal machinations and gyrations of your thoughts and worries and fears. And that's all internal and that's suffering and that's optional. And you now controlled your inner dialogue and forced your shifting to think about peace and love and beauty and be present in the moment. And all of a sudden your blood pressure went down, your heart rate went down, 
your shoulders relaxed. You know, I said, you get it? And I said, you know, being mindful <clears throat> means you got to stop this downward spiral that you do. You've got to stop doing that. And so you have to develop a habit. Whenever this has happened, go look at a flower, <laughs> you know, go stare at a tree, shift your thoughts and be present in that nature moment. And, you know, that's just an example of, you know, that person wouldn't have seen or felt or noticed any of those things walking and, you know, I'm walking with them and I'm seeing it, you know, and I'm listening to it, but they weren't even there. They weren't even present to the, the water, the ducks, the flowers, the sun until they sort of cleared their mind of their internal dialogue. That's beautiful. And it, that also resonates with me on simplicity of um, just focusing on one sense for people who followed me for a while, listen to the podcast for a while, I'll talk about that. And uh, that's basically what you're saying too. It, it, where I think some people get stuck is that they hear someone say, stop thinking the thoughts, stop being the way you are. And they don't get the support around what to do instead that's simple and not like sit for an hour and meditate um, every day, you know, like some people will make that a part of their practice and some won't. And even some people who do that every day can't then do it in the moment. You know, they, I know some people who meditate frequently and yet, um, I mean, for a long period every day, but then they get into their tizzy of the day and you wouldn't think of them as a calm person in those other times you see them. And what you're talking about, and you said it exactly two minutes even 20 seconds has been proven to make a difference in if yeah. you focus on one of your senses and just hyper focus on any one of your senses right. and without trying to make a story about the thing you're looking at, like just so focused just to take it in. And so what you've done is, like you said, switch, you've f changed your focus, redirected it, and then that's how you stop the other because you've got to like shift Shatter. it to the yeah. new thing, shift it to yeah. the new thing. So you replace it. So it's a proactive replacement versus, um, you know, yeah, you're making a very important something. point. You, it, it, it's kind of like you've got a hard drive, although you don't have a hard drive, but your, your brain is processing neural activity and brainwave flow and you can't empty it without it filling up with something else. So just telling them to stop thinking about it isn't going to work. In fact, they're going to be thinking about stop thinking about it, which means they're thinking about it. So you you have to, that's the wrong thing to do. <laughs> yep, absolutely. So the, 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 what you had him do is the, is an awesome thing to do. And, and you can do that anywhere. And, you know, you don't have to be outside. You can be in a building even having a conversation that's making you uncomfortable and you can even do that in the moment. You can focus on someone's, you know, the, like if, if JD and I, even on Zoom like this, uh, you could, I could stare at his glasses. I could look at his, the different shades in his hair. I could look at his, um, you know, mustache and his, you know, I could look at something on his face so he knows I'm still looking at him. But even if I was having an uncomfortable moment in a conversation, I could hyper-focus on the colors and shapes in front of me yeah, and, and be able to s just settle the nervous system a little and switch the brain a little from the distracting 
freak out zone well, that it wants go, to go on. So I'm a big advocate of walking. I try to walk 10,000 miles a day, except when it's 100 degrees outside, which it was for four months. But when I'm walking, I clear my mind and I'm looking at the trees. I look at worms. I always pick up a worm when they're crossing the sidewalk. <laughs> do you move I, them to a safer zone? I do. I do. Yeah. I, I do the I, same I thing. <laughs> the yeah, worms you or, know? or the little roly polies or yeah. um, and, snails. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, here's what happens. I get all of my problems solved or my creative work done in those moments. And so I always take my phone and turn on my recorder, my recorder, recorder. I'm having trouble saying that word today. <laughs> and um, I'm, I'm drinking this uh, really awesome tea. And I think it's doing something to my, my salvation, <laughs> my glands here. But, um, you yeah, know, I, uh, you know, I wrote the 12 Habits of Authentic People, 560 page book that I'm editing. The whole thing was done walking outside, you know, and, you know, I've just bullet the concept and then let it go and go for a walk, not thinking about it. And, um, you know, swimming is a great way to great for those people like to swim. Great way to clear the mind, block the field because your brain waves are being blocked by the, you know, exterior information is being blocked by the water. So when you're swimming, you're really in your zone. Um, lots of people get that way running, you know? So, so that's, uh, you know, if, and if you look to any problem solving, inventing, writing, creating, go out in nature, set your intention of what you want to do, uh, and then do it by clearing and your mind, doing that thing. You actually are bringing in, um, uh, the right side of your brain when you do that. Cause that's more where the creative, part of you is and that's also more connected with like the calming part of you the at peace the uh, more connected part of you that is and and that's a big part of um grounding ourselves and bringing us to being mindful and present is getting our whole brain on board because we live in such a left brain dominated world where it's all about logic and being analytical and over analyzing and putting everything in boxes and um prop finding problems and uh, being on the lookout for all the things that could harm us um, and with the fear part of our brain over there too. So something else you're talking about, because I've learned more about neuroscience the last few years, uh, is getting that whole brain on board and getting that really beautiful, uh, more blissful side engaged, which can make us have a much more enjoyable life experience. Well, much, much more powerful. I, you know, my mantra, my mission statement is that we're beings of infinite power and potential to create wonders. And so I want to help people discover who they are, ignite their passion, unleash their power to fulfill their purpose and, and do something great to serve others. Um, now, I was just reading an article this week. In fact, I think this came up in one of my clients today, but we have um, 100 billion neurons in our brain, which each have 250,000 connections, which is 25 quadrillion connections. And you know that's, that's more computing power than the MacBook Pro. That's more computing power 
than the world's most powerful supercomputer. That's more computing power than AI right now. And so when you're doing those things that we were talking about, it's doing what you were saying, it's activating more of your full brain and creating connections. So part of those connections are to the air and to the earth and to the water and to the animals, you know? I mean, animals, there's a great book called um, A Wonderful World by uh, Young. I can't remember his first name now. And, um, and he talks about all of the animals and how all the animals are using magnetic fields and bees use like a, a GPS in the magnetic fields and birds uh, for navigation. And they're using this field of energy to communicate and uh, navigate. Uh, and, and so we are connected to the same field. And uh, I might have mentioned before, but I love animals and I love animal signs. And I, I have this book, it's, it's right there, um, Animal Speaks by Ted Andrews. You know, what does it mean when you see a deer or a fox uh, and it keeps showing up, you know? That's a connection. And uh, last thing I'll say about the neuroscience side of it is, and it's funny, I had an appointment with a, neuro, a neurosurgeon this week talking about my neck. And I was talking to them about, about brainwave synchronization. And I said, I said, do you know about the brainwave synchronization research, the latest? And the doctor goes, no. And I said, well, you know, we've now proven that our brainwaves actually synchronize. Like, and this happens with partners all the time, where you say the same thing at the same time. You're both thinking, let's go out to dinner. You say, you know, or would you like pizza? And you look at each other and you laugh. Literally what's happening is your brainwave frequency and signal is harmonizing with them. It's like you're on the same radio station and you're literally sharing information between each other. And that's what's happening when you go outside and you're sharing sort of synchronization of thoughts with animals and animals with you, which is really cool. <laughs> I love that. Well, and if anybody has pets, you, I'm sure can attest oh, to God, this, yeah. you know, when the, the pet, um, like picks up on it when you are having a bad day or something's funky or you Absolutely. don't feel well, even if you're quiet and not, you know, you haven't obviously like upset or something, but you're not feeling up to snuff and they will then kind of stay more around you versus the other people in the house. Well, or I had a, I, I know you've got Heidi. I had a little Australian terrier, te, uh, terrier called uh, Joe, and he's since passed, but he had uh, this toy that was like a rope toy with knots on the end, and he would grab it, and he was only 12 pounds, you know, tiny little thing. He would grab it and twist his head around and hurl the rope toy and hit me on the side of the head while I'm sitting here. Or he would come and jump up on my lap and paw at me. And for quite a while, you know, I would think, you know, Joe, leave me alone. I'm busy. I mean, and he wouldn't leave me alone. And then I was like, you know, dense. And then I realized he's he's telling me to go for a walk. He's telling me to relax. He's telling me to play. Yeah. And so then I started to pay attention. I counted over 40 ways that he communicated to me, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, I I love that. You want to hear a funny story? Oh, go for it. 10-second story. If I, you know, sat in lotus position against the wall doing yoga, you know, my meditation, he would come and sit in my lap 
you know, with his paws up in the air and his belly, you know, it was was hysterical. He's so cute. Oh, that's so sweet. Heidi would come when I was doing yoga and when she's still small, she's less than five pounds. But when I was doing yoga um, and she was a puppy, she was, you know, three, little over, barely three pounds. And she would come on my back when, you know, if I was in a cat cow pose or um, as she jumped up there and she, she would just lay down <laughs> or uh, certain other poses. It was, yeah, it was really sweet. I love yeah, it. That they, are, they involve themselves. Very dogs are very present. Yes. Yeah. 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 I, I, I have some ideas to do a podcast episode in the future, specifically around lessons that from my dog dogs over the years. Um, something you said sparked another thing I have tabbed here um, in your book uh, uh, that I just found. Yay. Uh, what is that sixth sense? So you wrote this book before we literally, you were just talking about science that was done connect about the, the brain waves, which I, I wasn't familiar with, but I, I am familiar with the fact that the, the concept of the sixth sense has been proven in science, I think even just this year, with this year or last year. And that, yeah. you know, is I'm just interesting. I'm probably connected with the brainwave, I'm I'm guessing. Uh, but I've been hearing that from some people that I follow that it's I've not looked up the actual studies themselves, but I've heard I it in multiple I places. I remember vaguely hearing something about that. Now you got me curious. I'm going to have to go Google that one. Yeah. Yeah. So check it out because uh, I thought it was interesting to look at this, how you wrote about it in the book 10, 10 or 11 years ago here. And you wrote in here, I believe it's our ability to feel and understand the light or God or love basically is how this comes across. And um, you know, everybody has their own terminology they're comfortable with and how they, what they believe in God, light, love, higher power, uh, source, just higher self, their better self, all the things. Yeah. But you want to talk to that a little bit? Well, um, talk to the part about the light, the light or the sixth sense. Anything that sparks you, anything that sparks you. I just, it's one of my things I really liked. Everything is, you know, put my science hat on and I'll say that everything is pure energy and energy is everything. And everything, point two, everything we think is solid has 99.9999% empty space, scientific fact. Um, And then the next thing is that um, the way this conversation is working is that my voice is being converted to binary language, ones and zeros, science of numbers, which is then turned into a frequency sent through a light beam, turned back into images and voices. Um, and so the light is your AT&T or Verizon or T-Mobile signal. You know? Heidi, Hi, Heidi. Heidi is agreeing with us that that yeah. is absolutely the case. Yeah. <laughs> we like that. Yep, and she's so, off to chase an animal. So <laughs> hang on a second. Let me just. Hey, girlfriend, you want to come back here? Come on, come join us. Come here. Come here. Come here. Did she see something? Yeah, she saw. Tell um, her. Let, let's let her wave. Yeah, let's let her wave. So this is Heidi. Oh, oh she's so cute. How old she is was, she? She was sleeping until 
she got aware somehow, probably from the wavelength and a sixth sense, ironically, of a squirrel going by. And oh. uh, yeah, then she that's the one she drives her nuts. So she's four and a half years old. She's a Havanese poodle, a Havapoo. And uh, she's less than five pounds. Aww. And yeah, she is a doll. And, and she knows I, it. <laughs> yes, she does. She does. Okay. Well, you got attention here, girlfriend. So now you can just lay on my lap and relax while JD goes back and tells us his his thoughts on so, the success. So everything is so I was saying that the light is the carrier of information. And that's what an AT&T signal is, Verizon, T-Mobile, radio waves, all, you know, that that is invisible information frequencies carried through the light. And so you say, well, maybe why don't I see that? Well, because the light spectrum is only 1% of visible light. Uh, the light's, visible light spectrum is only 1% of the energy spectrum. So imagine... 10 pianos end to end with 880 keys and now, you know, stretching 300 feet and only eight of those keys, 1%, you know, do, re, mi, fa, so, la, <laughs> that's it. That's that, that, that little space in the 300 feet is, is the only part that is visible light in the energy spectrum. So that energy exists and it carries, does all kinds of other amazing things. So, um, the sixth sense is nothing more than your MacBook Pro personal supercomputer sitting on your shoulder using its frontal cortex and sensory abilities and neuron uh, mirroring neurons to receive information. And that information is received in the form we call it intuition, precognition, um, feelings, um, empathic feelings, you know, feeling others, you know, how many times has you, have you said, you know, uh, geez, I haven't talked to Aunt Mary in, in a year and all of a sudden Aunt Mary calls, you know, or, you know, I think I better sell my stocks today and you don't and darn it, it went down, <laughs> you know, all, all these things, you know, so this supercomputer is processing billions and billions or trillions of bits of information and we're only consciously aware of that which we told ourselves we want to pay attention to which is called our intentions or our motivations i think it's fascinating that we created these amazing computers and tech and yet we don't give ourselves credit that like how how is it possible that i feel like we're walking around and most of us are have taken on the belief that that we are less powerful than the the tech we've created which is ironic and to your point not true and the opposite of how it is it's just like we don't, we don't give ourselves enough credit because I don't know why. Why do you think that is? Why can't we give ourselves enough credit? Why can't, well, that's a, why that's can't a, we believe this? Yeah, that's a very good question. And I love the way you said it. We give ourselves less, less credit. 
for being less powerful than the tech we created when, when in, in fact it's the opposite. Um, there's a few reasons for that. Um, number one is we don't want to accept personal responsibility for all the things that happened to us that we didn't like for our failures, for our broken relationships, for our lack of getting the job, making the money, you know, all, all these things that happened to us. If we accept that we are so super powerful, then that means we created our destiny, which then means I have to accept personal responsibility. And we don't want to do that. We want to blame somebody else. It's far easier to blame somebody else. The second reason is if we do accept that, and maybe we don't blame somebody else, but we don't want to do the work. Doing the work is hard, you know? Logging my thoughts and monitoring my thoughts, you know, thinking about what I'm thinking. Oh, that's hard, you know? Um, apologizing is hard. Being vulnerable and, and forgiving is, you know, embarrassing. You know, we got all these programs that were put in our mind that men are supposed to be tough and not cry, and you're never supposed to say you're sorry, and the CEO is always in control, and these are all illusions. <laughs> yes. And I think that's a great segue into something I know we wanted to talk about today. Um, and and uh, before we get to that, I, I'll, I'll read this other segment here. Uh, this was actually in your preface. So before you even wrote the book, um, years before, I, I believe. Uh, yes, uh, four years. I wrote this preface four years before the book was written. Thought it was beautiful poetry, didn't know what to do with it. And so when the book was written, I put it as the preface. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. And toward the end of it, uh, there, there's a segment I'm going to read here. The battlefield is between the mind and soul. The weapons are trillions of electrical impulses, the essence of every thought. And, I mean, you've touched on this. We've actually... This, this ties in a lot of the conversation we've already had so far. Um, the battlefield is between the mind and the soul. The weapons are trillions of electrical impulses, the essence of every thought. Like this is what's going on. This is the conflict inside of ourselves, a summary of it. So right. go ahead and talk about that, JD, that leads into the illusions and what you call flops. And and let's let's go there. So... So I think we already kind of talked about how, look, our brain is nothing but thousands and thousands of miles of fiber optic tubes, basically, with electrical impulses surrounded by water. That That's it. <laughs> you know, there's no hard drive storage device. So these memories and experiences from our life, from society, culture, history, our family legacy, and uh, you know are all software programs installed in us and many of them are good they tell us not to stick a finger in a little burning candle or to say thank you or open a door or eat when you're hungry shower you know there's there's thousands of programs that are great but there's perhaps as equal number that are not so good and so what happens is our heart which is our greatest guidance device, 
is telling us to do things that make us feel happy and light. Uh, you know, I like to say if it feels light, it's right. Meaning if it, if you're thinking about doing something, which I was thinking about doing something last week and I was like caught myself feeling anxious and depressed. And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. That's not making me feel light. That's not right. I don't, my body doesn't want to do that. I don't know why that's not right. I just know it's not light. So it's not right. I, sh I need to stop doing that. And so that's my heart and my body with all of its amazing sixth sense and sensory capability and my supercomputer, you know, giving me tension or stress. And so I'm listening to my heart, but my mind might be saying, oh, make more money, get a promotion, get a raise, you know, invite the cute girl or cute guy out, you know, even though I'm married or whatever, you know. So the head has all of these attachments to what I will call mostly extrinsic, you know, external to ourself, um, sensual pleasure, property, you know, assets, power. And so, so most of us are extrinsically motivated on those things, but many of us, unfortunately, a smaller percentage of the population are intrinsically motivated on the inner internal things. Now, what happens when we go from, say, age 45 to 55, all of a sudden, if we've if we've gotten the things at the bottom of Maslow's hat ladder, you know, we've got a house, security, jobs, the extrinsic motivations become fewer and the intrinsic motivations to do more, to live a life of purpose and meaning, wondering, you know, am I really happy? Do I really want to do this for 20 more years? What were my dreams when I was a kid? You know, all these, there's like a secret gnawing inside. And I wrote an article on LinkedIn called Summoning the Second Mountain. It's when the, you're starting the third act of the hero or heroine's journey. And it, it starts around uh, 55, give or take a few years. And, and that's when the heart's starting to call. So what happens is now we're in the battlefield. You're transitioning for 25 years in this case. I mean, the battlefield happens every day in many different ways. But in the big picture of life, you know, the head is fighting the heart. It shows up as frustration, anger, confusion. You feel lost. You've lost your energy or mojo. That's that's what's going on. And I know, for, I can speak for myself and many people who uh, follow me and are listening here now and clients, very much people who have been head people, you know, let it rule us for many years. And just like you said, I would say I was in my late thirties when I started having the realizations of like, huh, something's not quite right. And then doing the inner work. And then here I am in my late forties now. And, um, and I am devoted to it. Like it is a priority for me to really pay exquisite attention and catch myself when I'm not to how things feel to me and catch when I start comparing to what other people are doing in life or in their business or this or that. Yeah, comparison like, you know, is no good. No, like it just because this thing worked for them, it feels icky to me. Okay, well then trust that, Cheris. You know, and and the more that I trust that, the better my life is. And ironically, I can reach my goals in strange circuitous uh, paths. Um, 
as long as I can detach from how exactly it's going to look. But the the head and the heart, and when I talk about life balance and when I'm working on people through transitions, and especially at this kind of time when you're talking about, it's it's very much about paying attention to this inner game and this alignment of these things. And when something feels a little off, it's like, well, what part is it? What's What's not right. on board? Usually it's our mind not on board with everything else. And so then There's a that's lot like subconsciously okay. going on that we don't we're not aware of why. Right. And that's where sometimes uh well that's where absolutely finding a coach like you know like what we do for a living now and or also certain types of therapy can be really powerful. I had a really powerful yeah. hypnotherapy session yeah. a few weeks ago and some okay. things just really unlocked for me. Um it was I do, this- that the, I do that and I find it to be the most powerful technique, the hypnotherapy. Yeah. And I know you actually um, do some, like do it. I, th- I think you mean you do it both ways, do it for yourself and you do it for. Oh, yeah. I do yeah. it for, yeah, I haven't done it on myself in a while, but, or, or had gone to that myself for a while, but I did for many years, but I'm certified in doing it. And it is, it is, it is the most powerful tool that I use, but a person has to be ready. Yes. You know, because you can be fighting. There's a huge part of your consciousness that will be fighting. And, and it, for me, what came up was um, part of a, it was part of an old story, but it was in a new way. And it's just, but it, it unlocked some doors for me. And then some cool things happened in the last few weeks. And it's really amazing. But point being head, heart, very much we need to get in touch with our hearts more. And I invite every one of you listening to challenge yourself to find whatever ways you possibly can to listen to your heart and your body because they will not lie. But you've got to learn to pay attention to them and slow down just enough. Like you mentioned the, the, uh, with your client today when you went for the walk, you know, slowing down enough. And, and then if you asked him, in the moment about something, he'd probably have a better answer or solution or an option that would open up because he slowed down and could feel what, how you can't pick up these signals if you're just scurrying around on the treadmill and got your brain zooming in a zillion miles an hour. So I'm going to give you a metaphor. I I was a nationally ranked fencer and my coach was uh, in high school and college, uh, the Naval Academy. My coach was uh, the Olympic coach, Andre Delandrier. And uh, his father was a French master, came from France, teaching sword fighting and World War I kind of stuff. And, and uh, so when Andre was teaching me, he would try to tell me to let go of my mind uh, because my brain and body knew what to do. And so one in one bout, there's, you know, all this blade work going on and, and the guy attacks me and my hand goes, whoosh, 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 whoosh around and boop, hits the guy. And Andy jumps up and goes, yeah. And then the guy attacks me, you know, offensive, the blades are going really fast. You can't think about it. If you think you're dead, you know, it's like, it's like the quarterback when they go back you know, the ball's hiked, they step back. If they take the time to think about what they have to do, they're dead. 
It's it's all happening with an instantaneous blink of an eye. So the guy attacks me again, and I go boom, 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 boom. And so I beat the guy really bad. And Coach Delodrick comes up to me and he goes, "Do you know what you did?" And I said, "I I have no idea what I did." And he jumps up and he goes, "Yeah!" You know, <laughs> it was all subconscious. The supercomputer took over. The training took over. That's the difference between you know the the top 20 athletes and the number one athlete is they've learned to let go you know and that requires trust and a, a bunch of other things um there was something else you mentioned about um that i wanted to touch on and that, that, that when you try to answer these questions head on about what do i want or why do i feel something's missing you can't do it head on because the brain is is very smart. It's sneaky. It's lying to you. It's filled with virus programs and blocks and filters. You have to sneak around the back door, which is what hypnotherapy does. But this morning I had a client session and this client was saying they wanted to leave their, you know, very highly educated top Ivy League schools, three degrees and they're they're done you know and well what do you want to do well i want to be in hospitality thinking about being in the hotel business well why do you want to do that i want to be in the hotel business i'm like let me tell you something i said there's a reason why you're saying that and i want you to peel this onion away i don't want you to tell me hospitality i want to get to the root why do you like being around people do you want to be traveling more? Are you looking for a partner? You know, do you like bars or dancing? I mean, what is it? You know, do you want to be traveling to different cities or, you know, get to the root? And most of the time we can't do that because we don't actually know ourselves. So my favorite go-to thing then, and I said to this client, I said, go to three people who know you very well and ask them to tell you what you're doing or where you are when you are on fire don't need sleep you're shooting on all cylinders you're smiling you're excited because they know exactly who you are we're the last people to discover our greatest gifts and passions i'm going to say that again we're the last people to know ourselves and discover our greatest gifts and passions because it's such a natural talent we don't even have to think about doing it. And last thing I'll say is my favorite quote from Ben Franklin on that is he said, there's three things hard in life, steel, diamonds, and knowing yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. We don't know ourselves. And no. that's the journey. Once and And knowing yourself, going back to why people don't, want to use their power. Another reason I said, because they don't want to accept responsibility. The second reason I said it is they don't want to do the work. And there is a third reason. And the third reason is they're so powerful. It scares the hell out of us. Yes. When we think about how powerful we are. Yes. And when you talked about the blocks and the other things holding us back, the there really is a part of us that is 
sadly not evolved with us <laughs> and lumps any danger in our life or uh, you know seeming the any anything that could stretch us a bit outside of the what our ordinary life is at the moment your ordinary versus my ordinary versus you know whatever anything that could stretch us outside of that that's why I actually of, run into the fire yeah because it but it's it's hard to do because you've literally got a whole chunk uh, inside you that is like that is dangerous you're you're gonna, you're gonna die you're gonna die you're gonna die you're gonna die and you're like it's yeah. just a freaking yeah. email let me just send the email please <laughs> and you've got this section that it, this that is just fighting against it so i love what you said about going around the back door and the side door it's absolutely easing into this finding other ways to get to get through this um it, and sometimes it is running into the fire and sometimes it's uh, going around the fire, figuring out a really creative way or jumping over it. You just, so you just never know. Running in the fire obviously means face your fears, your worries, take the leap. You, you know, life, we grow through tension and friction. And so if you never, you know, if you've, if you've never broken a bone, had stitches, had your heart broken, a relationship or failed at a business, you're not living. <laughs> you know, because that's how you learn and grow through all these pain, suffering, and failure. That's how we learn. So I say run into the fire. Now, the last thing I'll say, because I think we're almost out of time, is those things that we fear, oftentimes it's not a fear as much as a worry. And worrying is okay. There's a certain amount of worrying, which is very big because worrying makes you ask others their opinion. Worrying makes you prepare for a rainy day. Worrying makes you, uh, stops you from making a mistake, you know, um, or prepares you for the, the hurricane, whatever it might be. Um, but excess of worrying and chronic worrying or perpetual worrying, that's not good. Yeah. But I'm, the point is that a worry is different from a fear. And a lot of people confuse them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what a joy. And we didn't even, you know, well, I, uh, you've, you and I have already talked about, uh, we love spending time together. We're going to have you back. So there will be more to come, everyone. So stay tuned. And um, I have plenty more I've highlighted here. And heck, I mean, just about anything, uh, JD and I can start talking. And I just love, I just love spending time with you. And I love how, how these conversations go. We just never go know quite where they're going to go. And that makes it so much fun and very well, you're fulfilling. Well, you're a great host. And, and Jaris, it's my pleasure. Obviously, I like to talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, that works out well. So JD yeah. will be back. And a reminder in the show notes, we have ways to find him, connect with him, and JD, any final words? Um, I, I think you earlier you shared a, a great quote. If you want to restate it, any anything you final you want to say? Yeah, I, I I said run into the fire is a good one, which means face the friction or tension. Um, figure out whether it's a fear or a worry, and the worry could be subconsciously you're worried about something. Your brain's telling you to fix that. Um, but one of my favorite quotes I think I mentioned is if it feels light, it's right, and um, 
So when you're working on something and you're getting all upset, tense, or frustrated, really step back and ask yourself, wait, wait a minute, where is this tension or anxiety coming from? Is it internal? Is it external? Do I really want to be doing this? Um, and if you don't, why are you doing it? So. Yes, let's. let's oh, let me it. add one more thing. And so let's say it's a job that you're doing and you don't like doing it. Well, why are you doing it? Well, because your mind says I'm doing it. We're back to the mind versus heart. Your mind says I'm doing it because I need the job and I need financial security. Well, then let's flip it around and say, well, wait a minute. What does the heart say you want to do? And do you believe in yourself enough that you can get a better job doing what you love? So there's there's an example of kind of tying everything together. Absolutely. Yeah. There is, even if you can't see it in the moment, it's just your mind that can't see it right then because it's stuck in a story in a loop in one of these illusions in one of these um, programs. There's always, I would argue, always, always a way to reframe something, always a way to see it, flip it, flip There's it always off, something positive right? and something negative, always. Yep. Maybe the negative thing isn't as good as excuse me, maybe, maybe the positive thing isn't as big or as good as the negative thing was bad, but there's always something positive about a uh, challenge or frustration or failure. Or yeah, anything really that seems horrible in life there. Yeah. If you dig enough, you can find something good that came of it. Well, I, I love what you said right. though. It, it may not be as big. It may not be yeah. as big as the big on the other end of how right. bad. Yeah. yeah. In other words, it may not be balanced <laughs> on the scale. Okay. But there's something there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Love it. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Thank you, Cheris. Great to see you too, JD. Thank you so much. Okay, everyone stay tuned and we'll be back. And, and Heidi has stayed nice and quiet here. Here's a, a, a goodbye for anybody Bye, watching the video. <laughs> okay. See you all next time. I hope you're enjoying my Cherish Your Life podcast. If this is supporting you in any way, please review, subscribe, and share it with friends and family. You can follow me on social media at Cherish Your Life, and my website is CherishYourLife.com. Yep, my name's unique. Here's an easy tip for you to pronounce and spell it. It's like the city, Paris, but with a CH. Special thanks to my dear friend, Paul Suyeljis, who enhanced and mixed the musical track. Little did we know back in college in the 90s, while my then boyfriend, now husband, and I listened to Paul riff on his guitar, that he'd be helping me decades later give a creative touch to something called a podcast. <laughs>